want you guys to take a look at um, our mission statement, why we exist. Bridge Church exists to connect our neighbors and the needs of our community with the unconditional, empowering love of God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus changes everything, right? Church, Jesus changes everything, right? Amen, amen, and amen. That um, unconditional love, that is our outreach. That empowering love, that is our discipleship. See, we got to outreach to people. We got to invite them in and we got to grow them up because we have to see people and get to know people so that we can love people. 1,471 different packages of school supplies and three months of bottled water. That's meeting our neighbors and the needs of our community. That's loving Indian Head. But without Jesus, that's just another nonprofit. That's just another social justice program. You see, Jesus, God, is the one who changes lives. It's, it's connecting people to God through Jesus that he has called us to do. Now, I want to tell you, um, as we celebrate this first birthday, right, so incredible what God has done. By the way, we're not celebrating us. We're celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating God and what he has done because, y'all, there's a pandemic. We don't chant, plant churches in a pandemic. I don't know if you got that memo, but God didn't. So he said, yeah, go do. So anyway, here we are. And, um, and so I want to invite you, though, on some of that journey because when God first told us to plant a church in Indian Head, by the way, that was before the pandemic, before any of us had any idea what was about to happen, um, I, I was sitting next door at Clarity. Uh, they had just opened, really, their doors, and I had started doing grad school work there, and God had told Rick and I, plant a church right here. And we were like, okay. Like, you've brought us into this community, but why here? What's... The message, what is so specific? God, you have been so specific, like right here. Now, little did we know, 12 months later, it would literally be two doors down from Clarity Coffee House, right? That we would share a wall with them with our office. But right here, why here? So, well, this community thinks they're forgotten. And he reminded me of the story of Hagar. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of Hagar. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 16. But Hagar is a slave girl. She's a foreigner. And she is with God's people. She's actually with some of God's most chosen people. You see, God takes this couple, Abram and Sarai. That was before they were Abraham and Sarah. And he tells Abram to pick up and to go. And he tells Abram, I'm going to make a nation out of you. The problem is Abraham and Sarai are old. Like they're not just, as Pastor Chris was so gracious to point out, they're not just Pastor Rick and I old, like they're Pastor Rick and I's grandparents old. Like they're 80 and 90. And God said, I'm going to make a nation out of your offspring. And they were like, do what? Well, I'm going to fast forward the story a little bit. They are obedient and they go like there's a whole covenant named after Abraham, right? And, and so, like, God's people, and here's this slave girl with them. And so they get the bright idea to follow the world's tradition and marry 
the slave girl to Abram because they can have more than one wife at that time. And maybe the offspring are supposed to come through her, which wasn't God's plan, but they're trying to figure it out. By the way, that's why we need Jesus in the middle of everything because when we stray off God's plan, then we're a mess. But anyway, so <clears throat> that aside, because there's a whole sermon series in that, and we're not going to do that today. I want to invite you for a minute to be Hagar. Hagar's not an Israelite. She's a foreigner. She doesn't know God. She's not one of God's chosen. She's a servant girl. She has the opportunity to marry the chosen one, so that's cool. She's one of the wives, yep. But, but she enters in, and she gets pregnant, which is what everybody wanted till she got pregnant, and then Sarah was like, I am not having this. This other woman is up in my house messing with my stuff. I am jealous. I am angry. She's complaining to Abram. Like, there's this whole mess going on. Y'all ever watch that ridiculous show, Sister Wives? Like, it's all happening, right, in the midst of this. Y'all are so holy. Like, you, I don't watch, but I'm just saying. You've seen the commercials, okay? And so there's this struggle, and there's this tug of war, and, and finally... Hagar is so mistreated that she runs away. She runs away from the mistress who's mistreating her. She, by the way, I'd like to point out, she was a stranger among God's people. And they treated her badly and chased her away. There's another sermon in that, but we're not going to do that today because we're celebrating. So I want to invite you. This is as Hagar has run away. And I want to invite you to read this with me. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the string that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar, slave girl, servant girl, pregnant girl, cast aside hated girl. Run away, girl. Hagar, where have you come from? And where are you going? Did the angel of the Lord know the answer? Um, spoiler alert. The angel of the Lord knew the answer. But he wanted Hagar to have a moment to process what was happening. And so she tells him, here's what's happening. My master and my mistress is mistreating me and I can't. And she goes on and she... It, and, and she just spills out her heart. And the angel of the Lord goes on to tell her some things. The foreigner, the not chosen one, he goes on to tell her that he's going to make a nation out of the son that she has. She, he tells her some things that she's not so excited about, about the son that's growing inside of her. But he says, you will be blessed, and I will make a nation of you too. See, we the church, we think that God only blesses the church. And here God is telling this foreign girl who's not one of his people, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to take care of you. Because I see you. And I know your circumstance. And by the way, God loves you. And that right there in that moment when God reminded me of the story of Hagar, he says, you need to show the people of Indian Head that I see them. They are not forgotten and they are not invisible. I know them. I know what they're longing for. I know their needs. I see the pain they're going through. I see how they feel forgotten. I see all those things. 
By the way, this was before the Velocity Center opened, and it was just an abandoned building under construction. This was before the grocery store that has been abandoned for decades is now getting ready to be this new building. This was before other businesses had come into this community, and there were more doors boarded up than there were opened up. And God said, tell them I see them. Show them I see them. The angel of the Lord talks to Hagar. And this is her response. I want you to read with me. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Ber Lahai Roy means well of the living one who sees me. Did you catch what she said? I have now seen the one who sees me. See, people got to understand that God sees them before they can see God. People have to experience that God sees them before they see him. As I began to unpack what that meant for us and what it could mean for us as a church, and, you know, like we have this cool logo, you are seen, known, and loved by God. It's actually a tagline for those of you. Look, Avert Church is like, oh, I know, mission statements and vision statements and values and taglines and all the social media things. Yep, it's our tagline, right? You're seen, known, and loved by God. But it's got to be more than a tagline. It can't just be the cool logo on our coffee mugs or what's on the back of our shirts or even what's on our little face masks and our hand sanitizer. It has to be the lives we live. See, we're here celebrating one year because God has called us. This is the life that we are called to live for those around us, those who need to see God and need God to see them. And so uh, as God set me on this task and this journey, there was a week where I had like a little sermon outline all pretty much done. I was pretty excited. It was early in the week. And he was like, no, 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 no. I want you to go through all the Gospels, and I want you to notice every time Jesus saw someone. Because, folks, Jesus changes everything. It's not just a song. I want you to notice Every time Jesus saw someone, and I want you, and and he gave me a couple of questions, and I want to share them with you. He told me to go through all the Gospels, and he said, see, who did Jesus see? How did Jesus respond to those he saw, and who did Jesus invite others to see? Who did Jesus invite the Pharisees to see? Who did Jesus invite the disciples to see? By the way, guys, we're the disciples. Who was Jesus inviting us to see? Now, I want to tell you, in Jesus' day and time, this is not the questions the religious leaders were asking. The religious leaders of Jesus' time were asking, where's our next King David? They were asking, who's going to overthrow Rome? Who's going to overthrow this overbearing government that doesn't favor God's people? I'm going to let that set for a sec. They were asking, when will God elevate us again? When will God's people get to be first again, like we used to be under David? Those are the questions the church of the time was asking, and they were the wrong 
questions. Church, we need to ask the right questions from the right rabbi. Are we okay? So today I want to invite you on a journey, and we're not going to read all the scripture because we'd be here a really long time. Y'all know, like, at all the church celebrations in the Old Testament, they would stand and read the law for, like, a day. We're not going to do that. By the way, they didn't, yeah, you can clap and amen. You can do it. It is good. Because you know what? They didn't have Bibles at home. They sure didn't have Bibles on their devices because they didn't have devices. The only time they got to hear the word was in the temple. Y'all, we have a reading plan. We do it every day together. Y'all are engaged with that. Amen. amen. All right, just check in. <laughs> so I'm going to skim some things for us. But I want to invite us in to see who Jesus saw and to evaluate how he treated them. Are we okay? Are we good? You guys ready? Y'all, there's a cookout after this with food and cake. Are y'all ready? Yeah, okay, just checking. Somebody call Mark and get coffee over here. So um, the first thing that I want to point out, by the way, is that Jesus always started with the church. Every town Jesus went into, he started at the synagogue. He went to his, his people first. And when they ignored him, shoved him out, cast him aside, he went out into the community. Or the ones that wanted to follow him followed him out into the community. So who is Jesus inviting us to see? I want us to see first, in three instances, I want us to see that Jesus saw the crowds. Jesus saw the masses. He didn't see the problems of the masses and the crowds. He saw the crowds and the masses. In Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, Jesus went out into all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he took the time to know the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion, y'all are going to get tired of hearing me teach this, but see, there's new people in the house today and they don't know. We think compassion is this kind, tender emotion. Compassion, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, meant a deep guttural angst that you felt in your bowels. Can I just tell you, when your bowels are rumbling, there's a problem? <laughs> when your bowels are rumbling, something's got your attention. Can, keeping it real at Bridge, that's what we do. Jesus saw the crowds and he felt a deep guttural angst in the pit of his being because they were lost and they were helpless without sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into the harvest field. You see, Jesus went out on mission and he invited others to join him in the mission. Jesus is on mission in Indian Head. Guys, we are not the mission of Indian Head. Jesus is on mission in Indian Head, and he has invited us to join him in the mission. He has invited Avert Church to join him in the mission. It's why we partner with other churches, because it's about the kingdom of God, not the individual church, but again, another sermon for another day. Jesus saw the masses, and he had compassion. He healed them. 
He ministered to their sick. Another time, Jesus is deeply grieving the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. Now, y'all know, like, when we're mourning the death of someone, it's hard, right? But when it is a brutal murder, like, whole nother ball game. When, when, when it says in Matthew 14, when Jesus heard what had happened, the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew. Let's talk about what had happened. Herod, the ruler, didn't like that he couldn't have more than one wife. This little girl danced for him. We don't even want to talk about what the dance was, but she pleased him so much at a party that he said, you can have anything you want. And her mama propped her up to say, I want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And he had made that offer and proclamation in front of his entire party-going crowd, and he had to fulfill it. So when it says Jesus Jesus heard that his cousin was brutally beheaded and his head served on a silver platter like we are in medieval times for a party, when Jesus heard what was going on, he withdrew. Hearing of this, though, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed they're sick. Despite his own pain and grief, he saw the crowds and had compassion. By the way, he went on to feed them. It was the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. There's another time Jesus has compassion on the crowds in Mark chapter 6, and it goes on to say he had compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus didn't just see the crowds. He saw the crowds. He identified the sick and he made them well. He identified their needs and he met them. He identified their lostness and he taught them. Because without the teaching part, without the discipleship, without equipping people, then all we've done is give them a handout and left them hungry again. But when we teach them like Jesus taught them, then we offer them an abundant and an eternal life where they can Live. Y'all need to live. Y'all want to live? Like Jesus' party is way better than Herod's party. Jesus invites us to live. But Jesus didn't just see the crowds. Jesus saw the individuals in the crowds. You see, we have to see the town of Indian Head. Avert, you guys need to see Waldorf and the DMB. You need to see the crowd and their needs, but we also need to see the individuals. Jesus saw the individuals. In Matthew 8, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds, here we are with crowds again, followed him. But the man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Let's pause right there. Let's talk about leprosy. Let's talk about a disease that meant you were unclean. In our culture, we think unclean, go take a shower, change your shirt, do something, at least spray some Axe on you guys, right? Like, by the way, Axe does not cover up sweat. I'm just, that's, yeah, that's not a sermon. That's a public service announcement. All the women in the room said, amen. Just saying, just saying. Caleb, are you watching? Yeah, okay. Let's keep going. We just, guys, it's real life, right? Like, so here we are, and we've determined leprosy is really not just a matter of being unclean. It's being a matter of isolated, 
and excluded. If you were a leper, you weren't allowed to live in the town. You had to live in a colony outside the town with all the other lepers. You weren't allowed to interact or touch or come within 10 or 15 feet of a non-leprous person. Y'all, we think six-foot distancing is bad. And if anybody who was clean got near enough to you or certainly touched you, then they were made unclean for weeks. I want you to think back 10 months. I want you to think pre-vaccine, like it's bad now, but y'all, we can gather together. You're sitting here. Some of you have chosen to distance, like, but we have our masks. We have vaccine. We're feeling a little safer. We've made progress. I want you to go back 10 months where you would get the call, like, thank God he protected the church staff. Because, y'all, we meet, we, we have, like, there was a constant fear in my heart that one of us was going to get exposed to COVID, and the whole staff was going to have to quarantine, and we'd just be on Facebook waving to y'all on Sunday morning, like, nothing we could do, right? Ten months ago, if we interacted with anyone with COVID, we had to go home and quarantine for for 14 days, vaccinated, there was no vaccine, there was no anything, it was strict. And by the way, we knew a lot less about treatment, we knew a lot less about the duration of the illness, we knew a lot less about the right medications to treat it. So you weren't just at home, you were at home a little bit scared. Like even if you were brave, you were a little bit scared, and some of us were a lot a bit scared, right? Imagine if COVID wasn't a two-week, four-week, six-week illness. Imagine if you didn't just lose your sense of taste or smell for six months or a year. Imagine you had COVID for 10 or 20 years or your lifetime, and you were isolated and excluded and quarantined from the world the whole time. That's where this man in this crowd comes up and kneels before Jesus, because he knows he's not even supposed to be near him, kneels before Jesus and says, if you are willing And the rabbi who should never touch anything unclean. It says this, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be be clean. Immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy and Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. Don't tell the crowds. I don't want to stir that up right now. Jen's translation But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Because there were miraculous healings for leprosy. You could get healed of leprosy sometimes. And Jesus said, you're healed. Now go to the priest and show them so that they can testify you are clean. First of all, I want us to notice that Jesus adds value, gives value to this man because Jesus doesn't worry about the inconvenience of himself having to go be isolated. Jesus doesn't worry about the inconvenience of what others will say because he reaches out to the man. Jesus sees the man and values him by reaching into his illness, by reaching into his ostracization, by reaching into his isolation and touching him and saying, I see you and now you are clean. But you know what's awesome? Jesus doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. He's like, what's the big deal about going and showing the priest? Because the man couldn't move back into the village till the priest declared him clean. God had done the miracle. 
But Jesus said the world needs to know that you are no longer excluded. The world needs to know that you are no longer isolated. The world needs to know that you have been made well and you don't need to be set aside anymore, but you need to come into the fold. You are part of the community. Guys, we have to reach out to people and see them, but we also have to let them know that they are part of our community. We are not here just to pat them on the head and say, Jesus loves you. We are not here to be like the guy at the baseball stadium going, popcorn, get your popcorn, Jesus, get your Jesus. We're in the parade. Have some candy. Jesus loves you. Don't come in here all dirty. Don't come in here with your mess. Don't come in here drunk or addicted. Don't come in here hungry or crying and snotting. Don't do that. But have some candy and a mask. And we've got a great bracelet that says, you are seen, known, and loved by God. Jesus touched him. And he said, now go show the priest because you are valued and you are important to this community. Are we good, church? We had a long worship set, which was awesome, and I'm, I'm adjusting my notes because I know y'all know that I'm between you and the grill. So <laughs> there's another circumstance where someone is unclean. You know what else made you unclean? I said we were going to keep it real in here. What made you unclean in Old Testament times? Being on your period made you unclean. Being on your period made you ostracized. You weren't allowed to sit at the dinner table with the rest of your family. All the guys were like, did she just say that? Yep, I did. Girls, do you know what that felt like? It's not enough that you already feel like you feel. Now the world has declared you unclean and you can't sit with people. You can't eat with people. You can't even sit with your family, right? And there's this woman who has had this issue of blood and she's been bleeding out for 12 years. She has spent her life saving. She has gone to the good specialist. She has gone to the quack with the tonic on the corner. She has tried everything, done everything, been to the priest, offered everything she can offer, and there's no solution. And she has been isolated and ostracized for 12 years and, and unclean. And she hears Jesus, the healer, is coming. And there's this moment where the crowds are pressing in around Jesus. It's in the middle of his ministry where things are thriving and everybody's flocking to him. And she, she is fearful and afraid. And yet she thinks, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. I've tried every other thing in the world to solve my problem. But if I can touch Jesus, I will be changed. I will be healed. And she does just that. And all the crowds pressing in, I want you to just picture like this strong mass of people. And Jesus stops the whole thing and says, somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, what do you mean somebody touched you? Like 30 people have touched you in the last five seconds, Jesus. What you talking about? Like they had watches back then to look at. But, you know, and so he says, but someone touched me. I felt the power leave me. Jesus knew who touched him. Once again, this was about the individual. It was about her needs. Jesus stops the crowd and he looks out and he basically, he's like, I'm not leaving until somebody fusses up who touched me. 
right? Like, that's what it looks like to everyone. And the scripture says, the woman, know, the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Why trembling? Because she had all that shame. Why trembling? She could have been stoned for what she just did. If, if, the, if the Pharisee Pharisees got a hold of her, she could have been stoned for what she'd just done because she was exposed, trembling with fear. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus made her healing and her restoration public so that no one could continue to keep her cast aside. Jesus brought her healing and her restoration out into the open so she didn't have to walk in shame, so she could walk in fullness in healing and in hope. Jesus didn't keep her cast aside. He made her healing public so that everyone else could see the value in her that Jesus saw in her. Why did I take the time to tell you a second story? Because there are people who are going to walk through the door of our churches and they're going to walk in afraid and trembling. Twenty-five years ago, seven months pregnant, not married, I walked into the door of a church afraid and trembling. And we're going to have to see past people's unclean, see the value that they have to ascribe value to them and say, I see you and I see your pain and you know what? I'm here for you and it's okay because I see you more than I see your problem. Jesus saw the sick and the needy. He saw the unclean and he saw the grieving. Can I tell you something? The world is grieving right now. The world is in pain right now. The world is suffering right now. Mask, no mask. Vaccine, no vaccine. Black lives matter, blue lives matter. Stand for the anthem, kneel for what's not right. You name it. Refugees from Haiti, refugees from Afghanistan. Both sides of all the political opinions, doesn't matter where you stand, where you vote, where you sit, the world is grieving right now. The world is hurting and we need to see them before we see their platform. They need to see us before they see our platform. They need to see Jesus before they see the politics because the answer isn't in the politicians, the answer is in Jesus. So how did Jesus handle the grieving? In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is going through this town, into this town. He's got his disciples. He's got the crowds. He's going into a town called Nain. And his disciples and the crowds go along with him. It says, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, 
By the way, if you thought leprosy made you unclean, death made you way more unclean. Like there was a purpose to the Old Testament laws. You didn't touch dead things because they could spread disease, but you absolutely didn't get near them, right? So it says, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, let's cover this. Jesus' disciples and the crowds didn't think they were there to attend a funeral. Jesus was there on a mission. He had disciples in training and crowd in tow. We can get really focused on our mission and we can fail to see the pain and the hurting that's right in front of us. Can we be honest and say that this funeral procession probably wasn't convenient? Who's been, who's been on 210 or on 495 or trying to get up 301 and 10 minutes late for a meeting and you know you're running behind and all of a sudden somebody really popular clearly must have died because you see a funeral procession yay long and you can't beat the light to get in front of them. How are you feeling? Are you feeling generous? Are you seeing their grief? Are you seeing their hurting? It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. He saw her and he stopped what he was doing. He knew her story. What's the big, I mean, it's really sad that she's a widow and she lost her only son, but that's a lot of detail to put into scripture. See, it mattered because in this male-dominated culture, your husband, you were the property, as a woman, you were the property of your husband. And if your husband died, then you couldn't own property, but you became the ward of your sons. So did you catch she was a widow? Her husband was gone. And she just lost her only son. She had no identity, no shelter, no value, according to society. And Jesus stopped, and he saw her, and it says his heart went out to her. He didn't just see her, but he loved her. What is our response to this grieving world, church? What, as we go through, as we continue to go through, as we gear up, there will be Y'all have heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. We have visitors today. We're glad you're here. Politics are important. The vice mayor sitting here, he, what he does for his living is important. Us being involved is important. But people can't see our political platform before they see our Jesus because the real answer for hope and life is in Jesus. Jesus saw her. By the way, there's this really cool part like of the story, and, and, and so the lesson for us is that we take the time to stop and see a grieving world, right? But he's Jesus, he's God, so he goes over in the midst of the whole thing, he comforts her, and then he goes over, touches the boy, tells him to rise up, he's brought back to life, she no longer is the widow and sonless mother of, they, her son's brought back to life, and life is good again, right? But you know what? Jesus knew that when he entered the picture, and he didn't race off to the miracle. He still took the time to see her and to comfort her in her grief, to talk to her, to look at her, and to know her. It's the same when Martha and Mary came out so upset because Lazarus had died. They wanted Jesus. They were upset that he hadn't been there. Jesus saw them. Jesus comforted them. Jesus loved them, and Jesus wept. Did Jesus know he was about to say, Lazarus, get up out of that grave? He did. But he didn't race to the miracle and miss the hurting, grieving pain in front of him. You guys, 
Sometimes we get so excited in our heart of hearts, we get so excited about Jesus being the answer that we dismiss people's pain to go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they're hurting. And they just need us to take a knee beside them and say, we see your pain. And by the way, Jesus, it's like when you preach a funeral, you can't be so focused on the altar call at the end that you don't minister to the hurting people who are grieving and mourning in front of you. Jesus healed the sick and he cleansed the unclean and he comforted the mourning and he forgave the sinners. There are several accounts in here, and I'm not going to go through them this morning, where Jesus reaches out to the sinners, and he forgives them, and he makes them whole. The one I'm going to touch on is the man at the pool of Bethesda. There's this man, and he's crippled, and he's a paralytic, and he's been crippled for all this time, and he wants healing, and he can't get healing, and there's a whole awesome story sermon in there, right? By the way, this sermon... This exercise that God gave to us that we walked through some with our launch team before we launched was the foundation of our entire Encounters with Jesus series. So you guys are getting like the condensed, right? But, but, but in the midst of that, the, the guy is there and he is a para, paralytic and he needs healed. And Jesus asks him if he wants healing and he gives an excuse. Anyway, Jesus heals him, right? And he lets the man leave. Like, he says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. The man hasn't walked in decades, and he takes up his mat, and he walks. And it's later in the day that Jesus says, now, stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen. You see, in meeting our neighbors and the needs of our community, we can't be so focused on their sin that we miss their pain. We can't be so focused on their transformation that we miss the invitation that we're to offer. And we offer it without expectation of anything in return because God sees us and knows us and loves us regardless. Many of you are familiar with the story of the rich young man. He approaches Jesus and, um, and he says, you know, what, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus tells him and he says, I'm already doing that. Like I'm doing all that stuff. What else do I need to do? And so Jesus gives him a list of instructions and he says, I'm already doing that. And in our minds and in this story, then we hear Jesus say, well, you got to give up your money. And he says, oh, I can't do that. And he walks away. And it wasn't about the money, it was about putting something before God, having another God before God. But that's another story for another day. So, but there's a verse in there that we so often miss, and this is in Mark 10. Because in between teacher, he declared, I have done and kept all these since I was a boy. And Jesus saying, one thing you lack, there's this priceless nugget In verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus knew that that man was going to walk away. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to join and follow. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to accept the gift that Jesus was offering him. 
But Jesus looked at him and loved him. In each one of these stories and so many more, Jesus knew these people. He knew the crowds and he knew the individual. He knew each of their stories and he knew each of their circumstances. He knew what he would do in response to each of them and he knew each of their futures, whether they would say yes or say no, whether they would walk in sin after their healing or they would repent and turn to God. And yet, he loved them. Jesus sees us. He knows each of our stories. He knew me seven months pregnant, walking into that church, trembling and afraid. And he saw me, and he loved me. He extended an invitation to me. He knows what we will do, where we will say yes, where we will say no, where we will say maybe. He knows when our phones will ring, and that is okay. (laughs) He knows where we will struggle and where we will fail and where we will walk away. And he knows when we will come back again or if we won't. And yet he loves us. Jesus, in this whole thing, taught his disciples to see people, to value them, to know people, and to love people. And Jesus invites us, invites us, church, to do the same. Our calling as Bridge Church is to reach our neighbors and the needs of our community, to connect them with the unconditional, empowering love of God. And we have all these values, and we're going to talk about those over the next couple months because you got to have the word, and you got to have God's spirit because, by the way, without God's spirit, we're like Sarah and Hagar messing everything up, or Sarah and Abram messing everything up with our own plan, right? But it starts with having the eyes and the mind and the heart of Jesus. Will you join us on the journey? Will you join a vert church on the journey? Shelly, would you pray for us? Would you all stand with me and just posture your heart in a place of humility and imagine Jesus seeing you. Holy One, we come before you and we give you thanks. We thank you for that burning love that sees us, that knows us. We thank you that you've given us this privilege to partner with you, to look like you, to be on mission with you, to restore all humanity to yourself. We thank you for the ones that you sent to see us so that we would know that your eye is on us and that you are the one who sees us. Thank you for those that modeled that. 
We ask you now, Jesus, as you see us with your eye upon us, would you help us to go out and look like you? Would you help us to go out and see our community, to not be so focused on the mission that we overlook them, God, because you are the God who sees us. You have not overlooked us. You have not overlooked Indian Head. You have not forgotten us. Your eye is upon us. So God, give us eyes to see, to go and do what you did in our ordinary, everyday lives. Holy One, we thank you and we give you all praise in your strong and powerful and loving name. El Roy God, the God who sees us. Amen.